0: You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for joining us. Republicans in Congress have been saying for six years that if they got the chance, they would repeal the federal health care law. They voted many times to repeal it over the past several years, only to see those efforts vetoed by President Obama. But soon, they will have a President Trump in the White House who campaigned aggressively on the idea of repealing the health care law. What would this mean for patients and hospitals and insurers? What would it mean for people here in Michigan, especially the hundreds of thousands of people who now get their insurance through the state's Medicaid program thanks to the expansion made possible by the Affordable Care Act? And if Republicans in Congress do repeal the Affordable Care Act, what replacement would we get? Would they just let us to go back to what we had before is that even possible or would they really have to sit down and come up with an alternative. Of course, this is a debate that is raging on Capitol Hill right now. Uh, Republicans said that this was their very first priority in the new year to get uh, back to Washington and repeal the health care law. We are, of course, waiting for uh, Donald Trump to take the oath of office to become the 45th president of the United States on January 20th. And so all of this could unfold very, very quickly. I'm going to spend the rest of the hour talking about Obamacare or the Affordable Care Act, as it is uh, more formally known, Uh, and we want to hear from you. Uh, Give us a call if you are worried about uh, the repeal of the Affordable Health Care Law, the Affordable Care Act, uh, or are you enthusiastic about it? Are you one of the people who feels like uh, the ACA has raised your deductibles or your premiums? Are you having a hard time? Uh, in the marketplace that uh, was established for uh, for people to get insurance? Or, or do you just think the whole thing costs too much money? Uh, and if you do, uh, also give me an idea of what you would do instead. Would you have us go back to life before the Affordable Care Act, or do you think there are other kinds of reforms that uh, Congress and the President ought to be thinking about that would make uh healthcare more accessible to people in this country and more affordable. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number to join the conversation. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag DetroitToday. We'll try to work your comments into the conversation. And joining me now to discuss the future of Obamacare is Paul Demko. He's a healthcare reporter at Politico. Paul, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And Marian Udow-Phillips, who's the director of the Center for Healthcare Research and Transformation here in Michigan. Marianne, welcome to... Uh, Detroit Today as well. Great to be here, Steve. Thanks. Absolutely. So, uh, Paul, I want to start with you. uh, This idea of repeal. Repeal is a very strong word that the Republicans have used in a political way for as long as the ACA has been around. Uh, Now that they're in charge and now that they will govern uh, as one party, um, the idea of repeal, I think, is taking on a different kind of tone. And and we're starting to hear words like replace a little more frequently and with a little more intensity than we did over the last six years. Where do you think this is headed in Congress? Will they just repeal the law and let the chips fall where they will? Or are they going to really have to sit down and come up with something else to do?
1: Well, I think think you're exactly right. There's a, a, a dawning realization that just simply repealing the law is going to cause a lot of problems and that they need to grapple with what comes next. Um, and I think you have to take Republicans at their word that they fully intend to follow through on promises to repeal the law that they've been making for a very long time, as, as you pointed out. Um, but what comes next is, is a very open question. And um, currently, you know, there seems to be some kind of repeal and delay uh, plan in place whereby you know they would go ahead and get rid of the, the current law but sort of keep it in place for a couple of years as they craft a replacement plan but that is causing a lot of anxiety um, among providers and health plans and others who have a vested interest in the healthcare system. And,
0: and that, that anxiety is about stability, right? I mean th- th- there's fear that if you just repeal a lot, even if you delay the effect of that, uh, essentially you're throwing uh, a lot of instability into the into the futures of these companies and uh, and, and other people, right?
1: Absolutely. I mean, the current system is not working great. Um, Republicans will point that out. You know, skyrocketing premiums and insurers quitting um, and diminished choices for consumers. But um, you know, there are 20 million people who have gotten. Coverage, um, particularly in states like Michigan, where they've expanded Medicaid. um, And, you know, there's not a a lot of, you know, certain, there's, you know, people don't want that coverage to go away.
0: Right, right. Uh, Marianne Udow Phillips, uh, you deal with the law in a more sort of practical, ground level sense here in Michigan. You just heard Paul Demko talk about some of the things that aren't going well with the law. Some of the things that the frustrations that people have. What does all that look like from your standpoint here in Michigan? But also, uh, if the law were repealed, what kind of chaos, I suppose, uh, do you think it would uh, incite? for for the people that that, that you deal with on a daily basis.
2: Yeah, so let's start with this question about what actually can be repealed because that's part of what creates the chaos, right? So that, to do a repeal through the reconciliation process where they don't need a full filibuster proof majority in the Senate means that they can only repeal elements of the law that relate to the budget, right? So they could repeal the Medicaid expansion yes. which would affect 600,000 plus people in Michigan. They could repeal the mandate for the and the subsidies that support that for the individual exchange. That's another 300,000 people in Michigan, but they cannot repeal the provisions of the law that require what's known as guaranteed issue, which means that health insurers have to take everyone regardless of their health status. Right. So if they leave those kinds of provisions in place but repeal the mandate that require healthy and sick people to buy coverage, immediately we would see essentially a collapse of the individual market and we'd actually be in a worse position than we were before the Affordable Care Act went into effect. Yeah. Uh,
0: a collapse of the market. Talk about what that what that means and why that would happen.
2: Right. So the way health insurance works is that you have sick people being subsidized, in effect, by healthy people, right? That's how we keep health health premiums to the extent people think they're affordable. It keeps them more affordable, right? Because we, have, we all get sick at some time, but not all at the same time. So the healthy people really make health care affordable for the sick people. So if you say that you're not required to buy health insurance, but health plans are required to take everyone, regardless of their health status, then more and more people who are healthy aren't going to want to pay the average 4000 or $5,000 a year that it costs to have health insurance. They'll, they'll take a bet right. that they're not going to get sick. right? But people who know they're going to get sick, they really want to buy that health insurance. And we saw that a little bit in Michigan before the Affordable Care Act, because at that time, Blue Cross was the only health plan that was required to take all comers, regardless of health status, and the individual market for them was already collapsing before the Affordable Care Act.
0: Um, When we talk about uh, the the mandates and things, if if those were to go away and this market were to just be filled with people who are sick or going to be sick, that seems like it's at counter, it's sort of at cross-purposes with The whole criticism of the law, which is that everything is costing more than people thought it would. I mean, this this would drive costs even higher.
2: Exactly, exactly. And I think part of the challenge is, and I think Paul was getting at this in his comments, that the Republicans in Congress are facing right now is if they simply do a, a repeal, even a repeal with a delay, so things won't take effect for a couple of years, that leads to tremendous instability from a health insurer's standpoint. Right. They don't know what to expect. Right, They can't and, plan. They can't plan. And already I think they are seeing an increase in utilization from Consumers who are very afraid that they're going to lose their health coverage. We've already seen, for example, a spike in the number of women who are sinking long term contraceptive coverage. And so, health plans that set their rates in 2017 expecting one set of circumstances are now likely to be finding those rates are too low and they're going to have to raise them in 2018. So, we are actually likely to see, unless Republicans in Congress do something that they haven't said they're going to do yet, which is to Provide more financial support to the health plans, we're likely to see rates go up very significantly in 2018. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is Detroit Today
0: on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guests are Paul Demko, he's a healthcare reporter at Politico, and uh, Marianne Udow Phillips, the director uh, for the Center for Healthcare Research and Transformation here in Michigan. We are talking about the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare. Uh, Republicans in Congress say that they will soon repeal. Parts of, provisions of that act and send us on a different path. They've been promising to do that for many years. Donald Trump, who will become uh, president on January 20th, campaigned last year on the idea of getting rid of Obamacare. What do you think about that? Uh, Are you somebody who has benefited from the things that have changed because of the Affordable Care Act? Are you eligible for Medicaid, for instance, now, uh, and you were not before? Or are you out in the exchanges trying to get uh, health insurance Uh, and that private market uh, that was uh, at least somewhat modified by uh, the law. Uh, And do you think this is working? Do you think the Affordable Care Act is doing what President Obama promised it would do when he campaigned uh, on health reform in 2008? Or do you think it's just sort of not working and that we need to come up with something else? And if you think that, what else would you do? What other kinds of things would you add to make uh, health insurance more accessible and maybe more affordable. 313-577-1019 is the number to join the conversation. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll work your comments into the conversation. Uh, Paul, what are some of the things that uh, the Republican majority is talking about in terms of replacing the law? I mean, they've been sort of coy about this for a long time, uh, not putting a full plan on the table, uh, but there are some ideas that are sort of floating out there that, uh, that, that I think it's reasonable to assume might show up in their plans in general. Uh, their approach is likely to be more market-oriented. Is that is that a fair assessment?
1: Well, I mean, there's a number of things that you hear from Republicans again and again and again. So you have to assume they're going to be part of any plan. Things like uh, Donald Trump's favorite, selling uh, health insurance plans across state lines, uh-huh. uh, increased use of uh, health savings accounts, Um You know, but the real question is what replaces the two major coverage provisions of the Affordable Care Act? And that's the the subsidies that people up to 400 percent of poverty uh, can use to help them purchase coverage and the expansion of Medicaid. Um, and we don't have a clear answer at this point uh, exactly what that will look like. Um, you know, they seem to lean more towards some kind of tax credit that would help people get coverage. But that's those are the specifics that we really need to see before we can make any kind of determination about whether this is going to be a credible replacement to the current system.
0: Yeah.
2: Um Marianne I saw you shaking your head there for a, for a second. Yeah. Well for a couple of reasons. First of all what's sort of ironic here is- is that the Affordable Care Act is a market-based approach. Uh, In fact, when it was first proposed, the concept of it was first proposed, it was proposed by the Heritage Foundation back in the 90s. Back in the 90s, right. Yeah, to counter... In
0: response to Hillary Clinton's uh, single-payer or or similar uh, kind of single-payer plan.
2: Right, and at the time, the Democrats thought this was terrible because it was this concept that, just like car insurance... People should be required to buy health insurance because it's a cost to all of us when people are uninsured and go to the hospital because somebody pays those costs, right? So looking for alternatives to the Affordable Care Act that are more market-based and still keep as much coverage in place as possible is really, really challenging. And, you know, they've surfaced some ideas about alternatives to a mandate, including things like requiring continuous coverage. That has problems with it. Uh, they've surf- surfaced ideas like tax credits. They've surfaced high risk pools, but those would take enormous amount of funding to keep the number of people covered that say, we have today. Yeah, yeah. You need a lot of you need a lot of money for that.
0: Yeah. Um, okay. Let's uh, let's go to the phones here. Lots of people want to talk about this subject. No surprise there. Uh, Mark in Chelsea, welcome to the morning. Good morning. Today. Thank hey, you Mark. for having me on. Yeah. Go ahead. One of one of the biggest problems I have. Uh, I'm in
3: the field of alternative medicine. I'm a healthcare practitioner myself. And what really bothers me uh, about any of the insurance policies and subsidies and everything is that I don't believe that I, as a healthy individual, should have to pay for and sponsor someone who's not willing to change their lifestyle, change their diet, get into an exercise program. We know... That, for instance, last year, there's been a number of clinical studies that have come out and shown that it's not salt, per se, that causes hypertension, which affects millions of people, but it's the sugar. And when you go into a store and you look at the sugar content of most of the foods, processed foods, is very high sugar content. So the food industry is somewhat responsible for the health of this country, and they have totally failed in that regard. And we have media that talk about different issues, and yet clinical studies, again, show them to be wrong. And I don't feel as a person in this country that I should have to sponsor and pay for someone's uh, choices that they make to continue to go to Burger King, uh, <laughs> Pizza Hut, Dunkin' so, Donuts, and drink so Mark, you would two ounce cokes and Epsies. You know, I shouldn't have to pay for their health problems because they brought it on themselves.
0: So, Mark, how would you how would you how would you manage that? I mean, uh, would you have
3: well, uh, one of the things that I would do is I would have the insurance uh, coverages cover more alternative medicine. They, they don't really cover much at all. Yeah. And yet you have nutritionists and dietitians trained in nutrition who are out there who are trying to help people who don't get coverage. There are a lot of people that I see in my practice that won't get coverage because their insurance policy doesn't cover alternative medicine or even integrative medicine. So that would be one aspect um, to, to do. Yeah. The other um, is to get the media to get their facts right, um, to to talk about the, the the new studies that have been coming out that show. I mean, there's tens of thousands of studies sure. on vitamins, herbs, and minerals um,
0: that are out there. Yeah. tens of thousands. Yeah. And Mark. Mark, even- I really I really appreciate the the call, and it's it's an interesting point. You usually hear that that complaint from. From different quarters, uh, from 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 Mark. I mean, you hear that complaint a lot from uh, people who don't want to take care of poor people, for instance, uh, through through their subsidies or through their tax dollars.
2: You know, what's interesting is that in Michigan, under the Medicaid expansion, uh, actually, Michigan did something quite innovative in that it requires people who are covered under Healthy Michigan to get a health risk assessment and to participate in healthy behaviors or they do pay higher premiums. Yeah, and so yeah. they they really were and intending there, to do that. And
0: that was part of the intent behind the law too was yeah. to create incentives for people to a uh, you know get insurance and go to see a doctor right. uh, uh, more regularly but also uh, to to sort of lead to more managed health, right? Yeah. Uh, and and yeah. some of this stuff, I feel like it's it's hard to assess how it's working because those are long-term goals yes. with long-term effects. And this has only been in place for five years. Uh, it's not long enough yet to, to really assess yeah. those things. Yeah, go I ahead, Paul.
1: Just going to point out, I mean, I think that's one thing we might see is more of, you know, you mentioned the kind of unique qualities that Michigan has put in place, and we've seen that in some other states particularly with Republican governors that have accepted Medicaid. I think one thing you could see is more of that kind of, you know, state control and maybe sort of a rebranding away from calling things Obamacare and calling it, you know, Indiana Healthy 2.0 or what have you, um, because you're starting to see, you know, particularly like Governor Snyder and Governor Kasich saying, hold on a minute, um, our folks are really relying on these programs, this program and it's doing good things for our people.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, let's uh, let's go to Doug and Warren. Doug, welcome to Detroit today.
4: Well, uh, Mr. Anderson and panel, hey, how are you? Uh, we touched on it a little bit uh, a little while ago, and I, I thought it was really important to go back through the history. And this was a Republican idea at one time, and you know, through the time of the uh it became uh, what was it a tool? You know, for Republicans to use against the Obama administration for so long, and where, you know, what we really have is such a quality, a lack of quality in leadership uh, Where, in where they, instead of seizing an opportunity to work with others in government and create health care policy that works for the people, you know, they chose to obstruct and obfuscate and... and create the situation now where they had this war cry to help them get elected <laughs> you know about repeal obamacare and it's, right. it's just it's, a, it's, it's such a terrible shame and and you know to that end I, uh, I would like to bring up that uh... uh... coming coming out of detroit here is something called p dot org which is uh... really about removing the uh... profiteers from the controls of uh... our government because this is uh... really all by and for the people yeah. and, You know, it's a bigger picture thing, and uh, the best way to really fight this health care repeal is uh, really to go ahead and get the uh, big picture under control and uh, put ourselves back into uh, the uh, seats.
0: Yeah. Uh, Doug and Warren, thanks very much for that call. Great points that you're making there. Um, Let's go to Gianna in Detroit. Gianna, welcome to Detroit today.
5: Hi, good morning, thank you. Um, You know, my comment was this. I am somebody who is recently new to the exchange, and um, I'm finding it a very seamless process, (laughs) to be quite honest. Mm -hmm. Um, I've worked in the insurance industry for many, many years, so I'm very familiar with, of course, how insurance works. And, and, you know, insurance was initially established, right, to attract um, highly qualified employees. It was kind of those golden handcuffs for the employer. Now what we're seeing is a trend towards managed care approach, Um, We're deferring costs back onto the employees. And, you know, where I'm going with this is why can't an employee go out to a private exchange? Why can't that person have a choice to pursue insurance that is right for them? Um, You know, the insurance coverages on the exchange are fairly reasonably cost-wise. The coverage levels are comparable, or to what you're seeing now with employers and big employers. Uh, you know, transglobal corp are having employees now enroll in HSAs and HRAs. You don't see traditional indemnity plans anymore. You don't see traditional PPO,
1: right.
5: you, know, P, you know, POS plans. So, to me, it makes absolute sense that this, the government has to do this. The government needs to to protect and to provide for their
0: for for for, for people who can't. Yeah. And yeah. you know
5: what? We need to really be we need to really dig our heels in as citizens of this country and demand this from our our government.
0: Yeah. Uh, Gianna, that's a that's a, a great point. Uh, thanks for calling and making it. Uh, Paul Demko, the, the the Republicans have a different idea they have a different philosophy about that I mean what Gianna's is saying there is that it is the government's responsibility to make sure that people have access to affordable health insurance uh, the GOP says uh, that's that's a market function
1: well i think I mean I think one thing you're likely to see is a, a loosening of the rules around what types of insurance are acceptable if the exchanges remain in place um and having you know less robust coverage available, particularly for younger people, and the concern then becomes, um, you know, a, a consumer uh, consumer protection concern. And are people just getting junk products on the exchange? So that's going to be something that um, you know we're going to have to look at and 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 see as, as details start to emerge. Yeah.
2: You know, Steve, I I actually think there's a mixed view among Republicans about what they believe about health insurance, and I think it's part of the complexity. I do think there are a segment of Republicans who believe we should have universal coverage in this country, and if they believe that, it becomes a technical problem because you have to make that coverage affordable. There are really only a few ways to do that. There are a segment who believe it's not a social good, it's a market good, and therefore it should be totally up to the market. But that's a much smaller segment, I think, of the Republican uh, Party than we sometimes think it is. And so I think it's going to be very complicated. I mean, health care is extremely complicated. Health insurance is extremely complicated. And trying to unravel what the Affordable Care Act did, which was to be an incremental law. They didn't want to, for example, on this question about why can't more people buy coverage on the individual insurance exchange, it's because the framers did not want to unravel the employer market. Right. And uh, so they sort of were trying to fill some gaps and some niches, uh, but it makes it really complicated when you start to undo that.
0: Okay, when we come back, we're going to continue our discussion about the federal health care law and what changes might be on tap. Uh, And stay with us, uh, stay with us on the phones as well. Greg and Frazier, Ken and Troy, Paul and Clinton Township, we will get to you. And if you want to join the conversation, give us a call, 313-577-1019. Stay with us on Detroit Today. Boop boop you're listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Steven Henderson and as always, thanks for tuning in. I want to thank Paul Demko, healthcare reporter at Politico for joining us for that last segment. Uh, he had uh, he had to leave us a little bit early, but uh, we appreciate uh, his presence here and and his contribution to the conversation. I still have with me though, Marianne Udo Phillips, the director of the Center for Healthcare Research and Transformation. We are talking about uh, the future of Obamacare. Uh, Republicans in Congress say they are going to get rid of Obamacare. Uh, They have not yet said what they intend to replace it with. Uh, The question is, what will that look like for people who uh, need health care, people who are getting health care through expanded Medicaid programs in states like Michigan? What will it look like for the economy? Uh, What would it do to the economy if you just repealed Obamacare and sent us back to what we had Before. 313 577 1019 is the number to join the conversation. That's 313 577 1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put your comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll work those comments into the conversation. Let's go to Elizabeth in Rochester. Welcome to Detroit Today.
5: Hi, good morning. I would like to know what is the best international model that we have for healthcare coverage?
0: Great question. So uh, you know, we hear a lot of criticism from people about uh, healthcare in Canada, healthcare in England, and and people who are very critical of Obamacare. Say, for instance, well, you know, we still have the best healthcare in the world, and people in other countries they come here if they are really sick because ours is better than theirs. Is that true, Marianne?
2: Well, it's not true um, because, in fact, what we do know is that in the U.S. today, we have the highest cost. We spend the most on medical care of any country in the world, and our health statistics uh, actually look a little bit more like. Chile you know we uh, we are not the highest on you know life expectancy, infant mortality, or any other health measure we could look at. Uh, so lots of people have compared international healthcare care systems on uh, all those health statistics on the cost of care and on patient and consumer satisfaction with our health syst- health uh, systems mm-hmm. uh, and again, we rank very low on all of those comparisons rel- relative to every other country, uh, countries like England, uh, like Canada. Uh, like France, uh, Germany, they all rate higher on those measures. Japan rates much higher on life expectancy than we do. None of these systems are without problems, and I think that's important to understand. Everyone's got challenges in their healthcare systems, but they all rank higher on these measures.
0: Yeah. If if you were going to, and and this is all is always a cultural problem in this country, which is uh, looking at other countries and saying, well, that might be an interesting idea here. But if you were to do that, if you were to just sort of uh, uh, try to find uh, good models uh, elsewhere, wh- what what countries would you look at?
2: Well, you know, clearly you would look at those that I mentioned. You'd look at Canada and Great Britain and Germany. Uh-huh. Uh, Germany and Japan have employment-based models. Uh, England is actually the one that is closest to what's typically called socialized medicine mm-hmm. because physicians are employees of the state. Uh, Canada's health insurance system it, system is called Medicare, ironically. Uh, and there are many people in America that just wish that what we had done would be more like what they did in Canada and go to what's called Medicare for all. Yeah. It's a simpler system. It's not based on the market, though. And you know all of those other systems have higher taxes. And this is the challenge in America, because we don't want to pay those higher taxes. Uh, and that's why we ended up with this hybrid market-based system that we have.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, Elizabeth, uh, thanks very much for that call and the question there. Uh, let's go to Ken and Troy. Ken, welcome to Detroit today.
6: Uh, good morning. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my my feeling is that uh, the, the Republicans have to Eat one of their fundamental tenets in order for us to make progress on that. If we live with this concept, a concept that, that government is the problem and not the solution. And government really, you know, in a lot of instances, it is the solution. It's a solution to how we have safe air travel and police forces and, and, and a lot of different things. And we make decisions about which things get moved into the public sector and which things remain in the market sector. And and what we're finding out is that the most effective way to, to deal with this, and the most kind and compassionate way, is to move this into the into the public sector and to have a single payer system. But that requires them to to admit <laughs> that government is in fact the solution. Yeah. And yeah. and that's it's an untenable it's an untenable uh, situation for them.
0: Yeah. I um, mean, and and, and I th- I mean, I think that's about genuine deep belief, Ken. I mean, I think that there is. Uh... Uh, you know a lot behind that 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 sort of leads them to that to that conclusion. But I also agree with you that uh, that that is the. I mean there 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 isn't really another practical way to do all of the things that we I think mostly agree need to be done with with a healthcare system. Uh, Ken, thanks very much uh, for your call. Let's go to Greg and Fraser. Greg, welcome to Detroit
7: today. Oh hello! Thank hey. you for my call. Sure. taking my call. Uh-huh. Um, I just wanted to mention that um, uh, I think a lot of things that's missed a lot of times when they talk about Obamacare and the and the rate increases and stuff that uh, they don't nobody ever mentions seems to mention that uh, the risk corridors were removed from the budget um, in January by the Republicans, and that's really why the rates seemed to skyrocket right before the election because they had removed the support for those rates ten months earlier um i just wanted to mention that yeah. um because i never really hear i hear that one maybe i heard that on one radio show very briefly and looked it up and, and saw that it was true and that but nobody really mentions no that one and talks that's why the that, rates yeah. that's why the rates are are went up so much this year yeah. um in terms of medicare for all i think that's a great idea uh two per i think they medicare is something like two three percent overhead um um, I, I recently watched a, a movie called uh, Where Should We Invade Next by Michael Moore. Uh, they go around and look at all the other healthcare systems in the world, and people talk about, oh, they were sick, but they never went into debt. Um, they didn't have to mortgage your house because they had, uh, you know, to get an operation. Um, it just opens your eyes a little bit on what the rest of the world is doing and. It
0: was very interesting, but I just wanted to mention that. Yeah, yeah, Greg, no, that's a a great point. I'm glad you called and made it. Go ahead.
2: Yeah, so I wanted to to make a comment about those risk stabilization programs, because that is a really important point. It's not that they uh, removed it entirely, but there were several risk stabilization components that were built into the Affordable Care Act in the beginning. And they never fully funded them. In That's fact, right. In fact, that was a provision that Marco Rubio, uh, as a senator, put in place to because they called it the bailout for insurance companies. Uh, it is one reason. It's not the only reason why premiums went up uh, as much as they did this year, but it is certainly one of those reasons. And what I think is really interesting about that particular point is that if the Republicans in Congress want to avoid a collapse of the individual market, and they go with the strategy they seem to be talking about, about repeal but delay, they are actually going to have to fully fund those programs in order to keep the insurers in the market. In order to keep them in the market, that's right. Yeah. Uh,
0: Let's go to Tina in Clinton Township. Tina, welcome to Detroit today.
5: Hi, thank you for taking my call. Sure.
0: Go ahead, Tina.
1: Well, I was calling. I'm actually on my way to a... uh, chemo appointment. Right now, I'm a stage four cancer patient. I was working full-time, had a great job. Um, I was diagnosed late with breast cancer, even though I had normal mammograms. But what I wanted to point out was that um, um, even people that are working can can have to depend on the Affordable Care Act. Uh, My company, I was not covered by the FMLA and was not even offered COBRA To continue my insurance coverage because we had less than 20 people on our plan. So the Affordable Care Act, when I was really sick, was the only way for me to get life-saving treatments through having insurance.
0: Wow. Wow. So it's so
1: valuable. I don't know how they can just take it away from people.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, Tina, I'm glad. I'm really glad you called and made that point. And there are thousands and thousands of people of course uh, in the exact same situation where they have access to healthcare now that they wouldn't have had uh, before and Marianne it's very hard to it's very hard to think or to fathom that you would take away from someone like Tina uh, that life-saving care and that there wouldn't be some sort of major backlash I mean I, I I just I just have a hard time imagining that that's what we're looking
2: at. Oh absolutely I mean Tina, your your situation is so important to share with people because it is really the kind of people that we want to make sure have coverage going forward and that's why this issue also of the pre-existing condition requirement that people get covered when they have pre-existing conditions is so important before the Affordable Care Act, Thirteen percent of people with pre-existing conditions could not get coverage. Right,
0: right. And now they now they can. Yeah. Uh, All right. Uh, Marianne Udow Phillips, Director of the Center for Health Research and Transformation. Thanks very
2: much for being here on Detroit today. Great to be here. Thanks, Steve. Absolutely.
0: It's gonna do it for me. I will be back tomorrow. I hope you will too. This is 1019 WDET Detroit, Wayne State's public radio station. See you tomorrow.